The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. The first Carnegie Library was in Braddock. So when you put these together and then we think of how we're rechanging the way that we think about growing food and then creating this whole new consumer experience around changing the definition of what fresh food should taste like and making it fun again and joy and delight around eating healthy because again you're just creating that whole new category of fresh food and making that just more ubiquitous making it more easier to eat healthier. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Hey, hey, listeners, Harry Duran here, host of the Vertical Farming Podcast. If you are listening for the first time, you are definitely in the right place as this is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. And I've been honored to have some really interesting, eye-opening, enlightening conversations as I journey with you to learn more about this growing industry. In case you missed last week, we had a really insightful conversation with Mark Oshima. He's the co-founder and chief marketing officer at AeroFarms. Make sure you check that out this week. We wrap up season three with Austin Webb. He's the CEO and co-founder of Fifth Season. Fifth Season is an indoor farming pioneer with Carnegie Mellon University roots, and it's creating a new era of fresh foods. Its commercial scale indoor vertical farms use proprietary robotics, AI, and smart operations technology to grow leafy greens and herbs at affordable prices year round. In this episode, Austin and I talk about the origin story of Fifth Season, the relationship he has with the city of Braddock, and how Austin initially got involved in vertical farming. Austin shares what he's learned on his journey, the concepts of smart manufacturing and pest pressure, and speaks to the learning curve he's experienced as a first-time CEO. Finally, Austin also talks about the mission of Fifth Season and what excites him most about his future endeavors. Thanks to our episode sponsor, Indoor AgCon. Whether you're starting up or scaling up, Indoor AgCon can help you grow your vertical farming business. 
It's live and in person this year, and the premier trade show conference for vertical farming. It's going to be at the Hilton Orlando from October 4th through 5th, and you can explore an expo floor filled with new product resources and business solutions. Attend idea-packed educational sessions led by top CEOs and thought leaders and connect with peers and business partners at their great networking events. You can learn more and take advantage of early bird registration at indoor.ag and save an additional $100 off registration with our promo code VFP0D2021. Make sure you tell at least one friend about the Vertical Farming Podcast and you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'd love to read yours out on a future episode. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Austin. So Austin Webb, CEO and co-founder at Fifth Season. Thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you as well, Harry. It's great to be here. So where's home for you now? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, PA. Originally from North Carolina, lived in DC for a number of years and now has spread my roots here in, in Pittsburgh. We have a lot of connections to Carnegie Mellon, and I'll sure I'll say more about that in terms of how I ended up here, how we ended up here. But we have a strong relationship with CMU, and Pittsburgh is the number one school, uh, or Pittsburgh is one of the robotics capitals of the world. So it makes a lot of sense that we can continue to be here and call it home. What's the best kept secret about Pittsburgh? I think it's the very interesting tapestry that is this new tech transformation that's occurring now with the increase in the food scene over the last decade. And now it, it tends to be some of the top 10, you know, uh, food and foodie cities, and then just the art as well. And, and Carnegie Mellon is such a great um, microcosm of that because you have number one school of computer science in the world. You have one of the top ranked drama schools. You have one of the top ranked business schools. And you just bring all those folks with really great international diversity and inclusion all into the same campus. And I think the city can be very similar and a lot of folks moving here from the coast for all those same reasons. So, And there is a lot of uh, migration happening out of some of these interesting cities. Apparently, Miami is the new <laughs> Silicon Valley, <laughs> Silicon Beach, I guess it's going to be now. But uh, and then all the I mean, I, I grew up in New York City. I'm in Minneapolis now. But uh, and I've lived in, in California. But it's funny to see even just home prices, right? People just like, probably now is the worst time to buy a home because everyone's leaving <laughs> some of the bigger cities. Have you noticed anything in terms of trends and how people are moving in and out of the cities uh, where you're at? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're seeing the Midwest as well. You're seeing a bit of manufacturing come back. You're seeing huge tech transformations in these cities that weren't traditionally considered either the Bay Area slash Silicon Valley or New York, exactly to your point. And you're seeing that cost of living and that difference also be an attractive element. And certainly, you know, post post the pandemic, there is also a uh, change as well in terms of urban urban centers and then sort of just outside of urban centers in the life that is work and the life that is outside of work. And there have been some changes there, but you continue to just see more and more growth in urban cities and urban you know MSAs, but you're also seeing certain things become more distributed and change a bit. So it's very interesting. So we're big fans of origin stories on the show. So just circling back to, you know, how you got connected to the city and Carnegie Mellon story as well. We'd love to hear that. Yeah. So 
I grew up in North Carolina. I played competitive tennis growing up. That was my life. And, uh, you know, went and, and ended up playing one year in school, but went to school, Wofford College down in South Carolina and uh, inevitably became a financial analyst and investment banker and did that for a number of years and actually lived in D.C. as opposed to New York during that time. But during that stint, especially when I was in investment banking at FBR Capital Markets, uh, which has since been acquired by B. Riley, but um, really was middle market focused. A lot of my clients, right? So I IPOs, 144A, equity deals, debt capital, M&A, all of these clients, right? They, they were the, the CEOs, COOs, CFOs of these companies. They were also the co-founders, right? And I started really getting this entrepreneurial fever from them, got bit by the bug for sure. And one of them really pushed me over the edge in a good way. And I felt as wonderful as this experience uh, is and the amount that, that I learned, I'd really like to now take this and go build something from the ground up, try and make a positive impact in the world and solve some hard problems through entrepreneurship. And I decided to get my MBA while I would do this, you know, a bit of downside protection, but really as an excuse to go out and meet people smarter than me. And I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh for exactly that reason. And as I mentioned earlier, number one school in computer science and robotics, I believe robotics will positively disrupt every industry in the world. So went to Carnegie Mellon and, and really set out to, to start a company. And month one, I met a tall, lanky uh, guy. And he says, hey, my name's Austin. Do you know much about vertical farming? And I said, hey, my name's Austin too. And yes, I do. I believe it can be this wonderful solution to solve some huge problems around, you know, right, water use, less land use, food health, food access, no harmful chemicals on a product, less food waste, be able to really change the food distribution system. And we both said, but that can't happen if it's not economically sustainable. And we really saw what we felt has been this industry-wide struggle to make the economics work because I think the way folks approached this space, it's very difficult. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it, but we really look at it as smart manufacturing. And as such, we built a smart manufacturing platform and it really just sort of took off. And what's funny about that is we added in our third co-founder because we realized it wasn't just one or two robotic systems, me and the other Austin. And we felt, well, we're not sure how we can do anything more than that, right? We wouldn't know how to build. And I said, well, fortunately, I know the perfect person happens to be my brother. And so we brought on uh, Brack as our, as our third co-founder. And from there, that's when Fifth Season was really born, originally called Robotany. Robot and Botany combined, that was the Got extent it. of my creativity <laughs> at that time. But that's when it was really born, which was we're going to create this whole new platform to really change the way we think about vertical farming to therefore make it an economic reality today instead of just a pipe dream for the future. And it's been exciting ever since. When and how did vertical farming, controlled environment agriculture, like when did that come on your radar? Because I, I, I don't know if... That happened when you were in finance <laughs> or you just started reading articles about it? So how did those worlds start to collide? Yeah, well, because I was focused a lot on tech, media and telecom in my banking days, I had come across, you know, this idea of vertical farming. It had really started to grow. Right. You know, you had a, you had a few different catalysts. Right. One being book by Dixon Despomier, sort of this inspiration of what vertical farming can be. And certainly you just started to see a lot more conversation around both greenhouse and vertical farming. But I didn't know. I didn't know too much. I knew that LEDs had started to get to a level, and that's a big part of the catalyst as well, right? Which is uh, cheap enough from an OPEX module power draw and also cheaper from a CapEx standpoint that it became plausible, plausible to grow within within indoors. And that's when I met the other Austin. And then we hooked up with my brother Brack, and we really just looked at it and said, but the unfortunate piece here is that labor is actually the killer here because the approach, the form factors that were built 
really just took people from outdoors and moved them indoors. And it just sort of that incremental mindset of taking ag from outdoors to indoors. And we knew we needed to completely change the game on that and, and really make it so that you could be in the black, right? And make positive unit economics today and then increase that as you build scale. And so that's that's sort of the, the maturation on my end. And certainly, I think the industry as a whole, I think, has experienced that maturation as well. Where did the passion for robotics start? How young were you? Well, that's the thing. I think it really comes from my brother and it comes from outside forces. And growing up, I was so focused on you know, competitive tennis and then really started to fall in love with finance and economics. And that was really my background. And, you know, my brother, on the other hand, started coding. So he's my older brother. He started coding when he was 12 on a DOS computer and really just started getting into it. And I'd say uh, because of that experience and that exposure, I've always been more in touch or at least just had the opportunity to really understand the important impacts of how right tech is its own language and, and how that that's going to be our common universal language as we move forward. And I think that's been a big part of my background. And I would say that um, the entrepreneurial fever even started as well when my brother and I felt that with our very different mindsets and different skill sets, we could combine powers to create, again, create a company that could make a positive dent in the world. And just really fortunate we've been able to do, uh, to do that. Do you have experience working with your brother in previous life? <laughs> no, I mean, we had a close relationship. We lived together in D.C. I think those are all important foundations to a relationship that can lead to a working relationship. But, you know, we did small things, but this was definitely the most extensive, you know, part of building out a, a long-term co-founder and colleague relationship, for sure. You mentioned uh, smart manufacturing, so I did want to dig into that a little bit. When you say that, like, how should we be envisioning how that's different or, or how Fifth Season is applying robotics to the industry? Yeah, so what we really built here is an end-to-end automated platform, right? So harvest, you know, automated media insertion, automated seeding, automated harvesting, automated packaging, insert washing, tray washing, the growing process, you're literally set in a grow recipe. Imagine scanning a QR code at a smart oven for salmon, for example, and it will cook it the same way every time. Right? We really built that into an automated platform. But what's even more important is that all that is run by our software cloud managed platform. So, you know, we have an eight week forecast and our software brain will work backwards and really run the entire show in the sequence of scheduling, right? Which is in order to hit this demand forecast, you know, we're going to seed these specific crops on these specific days, right? This finish should go to rack six, row three for the first half of its life, you know, rack five, row four for the second half of its life, come out on this specific day in this sequence to go on that pallet for this specific customer. And all those electromechanical systems is part of that sit within our software skin. And so you really have is an end-to-end, right? IoT embedded systems, right? And so everything is interconnected and is being run by, uh, again, our software brain and in these pathfinding algorithms. And so that inevitably creates this smart manufacturing platform where you don't have to check to see if the lights came on, right? The system knows if it did or not. Every tray, as I mentioned, has a unique ID and barcode, and we track that from the beginning of its life all the way to the individual package. So you've got unprecedented levels of food safety traceability because you have seed lock codes and media lock codes connected to your five ounce clamshell or your ready to eat salad. And we also have 26,000 data points that we take across every environmental parameter during that tray's life, during that plant's life, all the way to your package as well. And that opens up 
so many wonderful things as we think about machine learning and computer vision, but it also just means you know exactly where your product came from and can literally break it down to the to the individual slot inside of our farm on a specific rack in a specific row. And so that's just very different than this idea of of you know one traditional agriculture where you can't control certain aspects. And it's still very different than greenhouse, right? So greenhouse gets looped into a bit of controlled environment agriculture, right? the idea of CEA. But the truth is you can't control the sun. And it's not true CEA if you can't grow it the same way on Mars. And that's very much how we how we have that mindset. Because in a greenhouse, you can't control the sun. You also can't control the air temperature and humidity, which are really important aspects to crop uh, health. But it also leads to additional pests and disease pressure. Whereas in what we've built, we call it true CEA because, again, we're literally managing and optimizing every single aspect of the environment. So there's this combination of smart manufacturing. It just happens to be what's coming out are living organisms, if you will, if you want to think of it in that fashion. And the second is this idea of true CEA versus you know greenhouse or certainly compared to traditional agriculture and that's just something that's a that's a huge difference and the final thing i'll say on that that's a helpful analogy right is traditional if we put it in the form of horsepower right traditional farming is a single horse we want to think of it in that fashion right with greenhouse we've been able to take a couple of, of horses and hook them up to a carriage and what we're doing in the fifth season when you come inside our facilities, you're really at that point, you're at a Tesla manufacturing facility. And that's not to be putting down greenhouse in any way. It's an important aspect as we think about overall crop, you know, crop development in the food system. And in fact, we at this season plan to really have a cross footprint and really hybridize and vertical farming and greenhouse and leverage both of those platforms to be able to really continue to move the needle on both quality and safety and cost across a number and variety of vegetables and potentially also proteins and things of that nature. But so that's to say that there is an, an important aspect to where horse and carriage is an important part of the transportation here in this analogy. But there is also still a difference when you think about a Tesla that has auto driving capabilities and can also automatically reroute you with an integrated Google map. Right. And so, you know, that's very different than the old days as well with uh, with printing out MapQuest, for example. <laughs> and then, hey, there happens to be traffic or construction. So hopefully that helps add just this element of both the smart manufacturing and even the true CEA portion as we really think of it inside of our facilities. Can you talk a little bit about the journey if team wise, personal wise, because you got started in 2016. So I, I would imagine there's a lot of iterations that got you to the point where you were able to refine this. But with so many moving parts, so many variables, so many things you're tracking, there must have been a, a couple of uh, bumps along the way. Is there anything that, uh, you know, without getting too specific, but is there, is there something memorable that was uh, a bit of a, a pain point for you or, or something you're, you're happy to have gotten through and <laughs> figured out? Yeah, well, I think what I can at least say to start at a high level is, it is really hard to do hardware and software at the same time. They have different development cycles. And a lot of times you're thinking agile based on the software side, project based on the hardware side. And that can be enough in itself. But when you add in operations and then you add in food safety and perishability of less than a month of, of you know, total shelf life or around a month in total shelf life, you have just additional challenges. And so I'd say the breadth and not just the depth of some of the challenge that makes it, this a hard business and, and tough to really, again, just completely change the way that we can grow food. 
it makes it very challenging and of course rewarding as you continue to hit, hit milestones. And as we say all the time, you know, one of our values is resilience. And what we say is, right, there's never an easy win. You have to earn them all. And, and you'd be surprised the number of times where even the smallest of things, you find yourself saying, you're right, there's no easy win. And then you go and you have to achieve it. And I think you just have to dig deep and move through. So that's certainly what stands out to me when you ask that question of what's been difficult and what are the challenges. And, you know, I'm sure there's so many specific things that can inevitably come to mind. But when you then add all of those to the typical challenges you have of scaling and growing and becoming, you know, 50 people at a corporate setting when there was once upon a time there were three and then there were five. So you've got all of those standard challenges as well. And it's uh, but it's been a fun journey. You know, I'd say to make sure I answer your question around something very specific. I think there's been times that the funding environment has been specifically difficult and we've we've done a great job in terms of what we've raised and there's been a lot of money coming in this space but why i say this is because you did have this industry-wide struggle to make the economics work and you did have a lot of excitement that came in from an investment investor standpoint and unfortunately there were a number of groups that made some false promises right and then and therefore made false hype and that led to souring of markets that led to you know, others that are creating something different to just add levels and barrier to entry. But again, that's something we were able to sort of sidestep because of the differentiation we came with both in terms of the mindsets that I mentioned earlier, right? One being this is a smart manufacturing platform. The other being that we don't really consider ourselves a vertical farming company, right? We're a new food system pioneer that's creating a whole new era of fresh foods. And we started that journey with vertical farming. Those mindsets and then the execution of how we brought in together engineering and grow science and grow operations and even doing operations R&D, where I think other a lot of other folks maybe think of those as silos. Those are two key aspects that allowed us to just create differentiation and execute differently. And so as a result, we've been able to catch up to the rest of the space, but we've been able to do that with a fraction of the time and also a fraction of the capital. And so we've been able to take what we've raised today much further than sort of some of the others that maybe had raised some large, you know, very loud raises that were a few hundred million. And we've, we've again, been able to do that with a fraction. And I think it's made us a better company. Uh, but I think the industry has created some of its own barriers because of, unfortunately, some of the, the false hype that was created. But uh, inevitably, right, resilience is never an easy win. So continue with that mentality. And it speaks to the, you know, the, what you've just outlined is really like the discipline to getting it right and make, taking the time to make sure you're putting in the systems, the processes, the learnings to iterate pretty quickly so that you can continue to improve at a faster scale. And that sounds like what you've been able to achieve. And I noticed that you also received the 100% food safety audit ranking, which I'm sure was no small feat. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when we think about this smart manufacturing platform that we built and the value propositions of it, right? We talked a bit about one of those being economics, right? Really huge, important unlock of, hey, our, our technology unlocks unit economics that allows to be cost competitive with field grown today. In addition to that, we thought about repeatability. So the ability to do this, not just in Pittsburgh, but then repeat that multiple times over, take the exact same modular design and build 600,000 square foot facilities instead of 60,000 square feet and not have to recreate the wheel to do that. Well, in addition to those two elements, there are a number of other factors as we think about being able to create differentiated products like ready to eat salads and how quickly we can automate and plug into you know, our abstraction layers and our software stack as we think about that. But food safety is one of those as well, as you pointed out. 
And so, you know, there has been in this space, I think a bit of, of just contentment to say we're indoor, so we're not outdoor. So naturally we will have safer product at the end of the day. And you have to go a lot further than that. You know, one, you still have to get the design right. If you don't, you're creating a perfect environment for the plants. It also means you're creating a perfect environment for other organisms. In this case, ones that are not what we want when we think about biotype pressure. So you've got to get the structural design, the equipment design, the automation design uh, right. But when you do that, you also get to reduce the amount of, of human contamination. We have human-free grow rooms, which is very different than a lot of the other vertical farms and certainly different than, than greenhouse. But then you still have to get the people processes right, right? People are an important part of who we are and what we do to execute well. And so as we think about the human side, the processes, and therefore with the first that I mentioned, that's the overall system, you got to get that right. And I'd say it really comes a lot down to our approach and our design. But then it does come down to to daily execution. And when you put all those together, you can get 100% on an SQF, which is obviously very rare and something we are incredibly proud of. But it comes down to that technology unlock in the same way that those other items are unlocked by our tech. It's the same here in the, in the case of food safety. Yeah, and to your point, how much of that is measuring different things that traditionally did not have to be measured or were not as important when it came to either agricultural, I mean, uh, outdoor ag or greenhouses, you know, there's new metrics probably when it comes to controlled environment agriculture that people probably weren't thinking of 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, the way we view it, right, is you're really graduating the traditional idea of gap, good agricultural practices, and being able to take that to a level that's closer and closer to, as you would have on the processing side and we have in our packaging areas, right, good manufacturing practices. And so you can really just raise the bar overall food safety because you just have, to your point, you just have different elements, right? You no longer have to think about, is there any form of systemic or non-systemic animal feces or droppings that come on? I mean, it's, it's obviously not fun to think about, but it's something that is a change. And so absolutely, there are differences there. And of course, when you create the smart manufacturing platform that we built and you take data points every single minute across things that are important as well. When we think about, in this case, let's take water quality as an example, pH, electroconductivity, ORP. Well, also in terms of constant monitoring, measurement, and swabbing around things that are, you know, salmonella or E. coli or, or et cetera, right? And so you just are able to take that to a new level where instead of someone walking acres and trying to take samples and you automate that and just take it into something that's kind of constant, repetitive across every minute or every hour, You've done exactly as you stated. And so I think those are all important. It's worth mentioning as well that when you think about greenhouse, we mentioned before, there can be some additional pressures because you have a much different, larger open environment. You have to open up windows in many cases because you just have a difference in kind of your temperature and humidity setups. You have a larger swing in that temperature and humidity, and that creates additional disease pressure and pest pressure. In addition to sort of what I mentioned there around opening up elements like opening up a window from a structural protection biosecurity standpoint. Whereas when you really dial in the HVAC, you have a really, really tight zone, you can actually just avoid a lot of the pressure. And then you go the extra length around any within the range that you're in. And you can just continue to, as we think about it, mitigating, mitigating as much as possible on an asymptotic type fashion. And that's, that's the mindset. 
I'm always fascinated by these conversations because inevitably I'll hear a phrase that I hadn't heard before. And, and this episode, it's pest pressure. <laughs> so specifically, is there like a, a specific pressure at where you get a preponderance of pests? Is that? Yeah, if you look at air temperature and air humidity, you can start to see within those ranges of temp and RH relative humidity, you can start to see different aspects of quote unquote pressure, which is the potential entrance and or overall amount of pest or disease possibilities, right? So, yep. Well, when you think of it just as at a homeowner level, like if, you know, randomly you'll start to see fruit flies or, <laughs> or little gnats and you're like, where did that come from? And you start to like play back, was it the banana I brought in or something on the, the leafy greens I brought in? And so, you know, there you can usually find a culprit, but I'm wondering as you try to control all these outside influences, it, it must get um, interesting to make sure you don't get to that point. Cause I, I imagine trying to find the source of that would be uh, pretty challenging to figure out. Yeah, exactly. It can always depend, but if you ever look inside the greenhouse, right, and you see the huge pieces of yellow tape, right, and you wonder what is all the yellow tape, that is tape to catch bugs and flies and, and pests. And in our case, we will have similar items inside of our grow rooms because it's just good practice to have that, of course. But you always find yourself looking at an empty sticky tape card, and that's always great because I've certainly been in a number of greenhouses and sometimes that yellow starts to become black. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's all it's all in, in the effort of avoidance as much as possible. And again, it comes down to things like structural design and, and process for sure. And have you filed patents on any of the processes that you currently have? Yeah. So most of across our platform, we really focused on having more trade secret type strategy, no need to, to publicize, but we do have a pending patent around our, as we call it, our autonomous method of vertical farming. And so that's both apparatus and method around the automated storage and retrieval solution system that we have that goes down the middle aisleways of our biodomes and grabs on both sides in a deep storage uh, rack type of uh, setup. And the integration between that ASRS, again, since we're automated storage and retrieval solution system, it's actually a, a bit of an older school term, but that integration between that and our proprietary grow trays. So we'll we'll look to potentially continue to include and build on, on that patent portfolio. But again, our focus has really been more so to take something like that that's you know more easily seen and available and focus on patenting that. Whereas everything else and obviously we're so many of the hard parts of what we built are, which is in, in the software and not easy to see more the the trade secret piece. I noticed there's a a theme on the site about talking about the relationship you do have with the city. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's important. And I feel like it's a fifth season mission in terms of like the relationship you want to have, how important community is, where, specifically where you're at. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a big part. It's a big tenant of who we are. Very much have that triple bottom line attitude and perspective here at fifth season. And so it all starts with where we decided to put our production facility, which is Braddock. And we chose Braddock specifically. And we did because we knew that we can build these anywhere in the world. So anytime we have the opportunity, we want to build these in areas where we can have the most impact. And Braddock is a federal opportunity zone. But, you know, what they really are, to take that label off of them, right, is a really hardworking community that's certainly been down on its luck since the steel mill collapse in, in Pittsburgh, it was once a thriving community and it's a very, it has that hardworking attitude. It's continuing to build itself up in this tech transformation and becoming, you know, right, a bit of a rebirth, but at the same time, the same at its core, which is the hard work ethic. And just also that innovation 
an industry defining legacy, right? So the Braddock Press, Carney Steel was invented in Braddock. The first Carnegie Library was in Braddock. So when you put these together and then we think of how we're rechanging the way that we think about growing food and then creating this whole new consumer experience around changing the definition of what fresh food should taste like and making it fun again and joy and delight around eating healthy because again you're just creating that whole new category of fresh food and making that just more ubiquitous making it more easier to eat healthier it just makes sense that we would go and, and do something like that that can be disruptive in such a positive way there in the same way that the same things were happening inside of a, a different industry in a different century and so there's a lot to that mentality and that personality that drew us there. In terms of some of the specifics, you know, there, you know, Braddock is a food desert and we've been very excited to start creating and distributing product and giving that to those in need and donating that to those in need. But then beyond that, you know, it's also, of course, the jobs and the economic development, right? We hire locally and we're really creating this whole new workforce of the future, as we call it, right? You're creating these new ag slash manufacturing jobs inside the city that haven't existed before. And that's an important piece. But then we just continue to, to go further, right? Which is thinking about STEM and ag, education, K through 12 exposure, reconnecting people to their food. Inside cities, a lot of times people don't get that exposure, forget in some cases or don't know where their food comes from, but also now showing them a whole new way that it can be grown. So a lot of different elements to that community impact piece, but it's part of just the core of who we are. And there's a lot of angles to which we get to do that. And so being able to hit on all of those is, is very important to us. And what's been, I mean, obviously it sounds like it's all been a positive impact in the community. Is there anything that stands out in terms of like educating people into something that's brand new and you seeing like the results of, you know, the impact that Fifth Season is having on the community? Yeah. So we you know, partner with organizations like Four Good PGH and 412 Food Rescue. We've been able to be a part of seeing the impact of some of our meal donations and food donations. But then also right when we're holding you know, local community uh, job fairs and making that available inside of the library, it's been fun to, to watch and, and see that impact and see folks that are live in Braddock walk to work and be able to do that. And I'd say there's so much more that we can and will do. I mean, a lot of, unfortunately, when we sort of built the facility and started to open it, right, COVID hit. So there's plenty of, uh, I think, opportunity for us to re-engage in an even more in-person nature, as was the original intention. And again, things like STEM and Ag and those programming opportunities are certainly at the forefront for us in that as we get post-pandemic here. But um, but yeah, it's been it's certainly been great so far, and we look forward to doing a lot more. Have you had any companies in maybe not even ag tech, but just curious if, if companies are seeing the model, how you're coming into a city like Braddock, you know, a former steel town and just, you know, being able with, you know, the right business that has, you know, future facing technology, future facing product, future facing growth and seeing how that can revitalize a town that probably, you know, at some point folks had given up on. Yeah, well, absolutely. And we, there's a lot of partnership opportunities. We're having a number of conversations and there's so many ways to be able to do that. And we're doing it inside food. We're, you know, starting to partner with companies and, you know, bring them inside the produce category. We're doing that with retailers. We're doing that with restaurants. We're starting to 
you know, we've got our ready to eat salad, right? So we've talked about this before, but we have our leafy greens product where we sell spinach. We sell our bridge city blend, which is a spring mix. We sell baby romaine, but we also take those and put those into ready to eat salads. And therefore it's a grab and go ready to eat option. And so now we're being able to start partnering when we think about university locations, hospital locations, corporate campuses that are starting to come back now post-pandemic. No more salad bar in many cases because there were huge pains for food service providers. They actually lost money. Interesting. And I don't see, there's a lot of talk around how those won't come back. And we'll certainly see that's the case. But what that leads to is just additional needs for ready-to-eat, grab-and-go products and solutions. And again, that just feeds right into that mission of making it easier to eat healthier. So, you know, we're just able to start thinking of it around items of food, items around community, and then just, you know, continue to go from there when we when we think about partnering with groups that are either in Pittsburgh or outside of Pittsburgh where we're, we're going to go, right? Food is medicine, right? Food is oh, medicine. Yeah. Start oh, to yeah. think about additional elements there and turn up partnerships across insurance and again, university hospital. So it's really an endless list and I could probably go on forever, but hopefully a couple of those are good yeah, definitely. Key examples. This is your first CEO level position. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. What's the, the, the learning curve been like? Like <laughs> how's it been over the past couple of years? First time leading a team? Well, it's a hard job. You know, I did have the experience of leading teams in the past, which definitely helped, but you just continue to grow in, into new levels. And, you know, if you were to be in the corporate setting for a full career, you get to build through the leadership pipeline one stage at a time, right? Individual contributor, lead, first line manager, manager of managers, starting to run entire groups, entire business lines, right? You're able to continue moving up that pipeline. And in some cases, you know, it's never good to skip, but if you obviously are on a huge growth trajectory, you start getting to a level where you, you feel like you feel like you start to skip. So you just you know, try to be super cognizant of that. Know that uh, not perfect, have a lot of have a lot of weaknesses, and you build a strong team around you. And inevitably my goal is to be the support, right? And servant leadership style, right? You flip that pyramid, I'm I'm at the bottom. And that's the mindset that uh, I try to have, but it's, it's a very hard job. And you just think about your key, your key responsibilities that are both internal and external. And you just have to, to learn to manage the time and decision-making has to be forefront because you can't, you don't help your team if you've gotten yourself into a point of decision fatigue. So a lot of aspects around the, the thinking about strengths and weaknesses, thinking about the support and the servant leadership style. And then again, you got to fill in the holes and build a team around you. That's one of the most important aspects. You know, if you think of Angie Carnegie and Charles and Charles Schwab, right? There's very much the conversation of hire people smarter than you, right? Take pride in being, as I like to think of some of probably the lowest IQ in many of our internal conference calls and meetings. And if I can continue that trend in my role as CEO, I think that's important. And you just have to remember too, honestly, the final thing I'll say is, as you continue to grow as a company, your role as CEO changes and changes significantly. And you've got to scale yourself and you've got to build and grow yourself into that scaling CEO role because it's very different with zero revenue and five people and an idea that you've got to honestly make sure you've got product market fit. So then when you have product market fit and then you continue to, to scale beyond that, right? Just very, very different changes. Those job responsibilities stay the same but they change in terms of impact degree and what it takes. 
must be something to be in the shadows of the one of the titans of industry <laughs> yeah certainly in- inspiring that's for sure yeah, that's good and it's fun because in braddock our facility is right across the street from thompson steelworks which is one of the last remaining steel mills generally in the area uh, and you just have a bit of this old pittsburgh right next to new pittsburgh and very cool it makes it fun what's a tough question you're asking yourself recently well i always ask myself what am i not doing that i should be doing oh yeah it's a good one been asking myself that since day one uh starting this season yeah i would, I would say beyond that it's a lot of focus around growing the team and growing external relationships and customer partnerships. I mean, that's certainly huge focuses for me right now. Okay. Well, I know we're a little tight on time. So Austin, thank you so much. I think we covered uh, all the things that I was interested in and maybe we can <laughs> figure out a follow-up. And I think hopefully when conferences open up, maybe that'll be an opportunity to connect as well. But uh, thank you for sharing your story. And uh, it was really exciting to see how much effort and dedication is going into what you're building at, at Fifth Season. Thank you, Harry. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on. And we'll, uh, for folks who want to learn more, they can head over to fifthseasonfresh.com. Yes, fifthseasonfresh.com. And if you're in the Pittsburgh area, you can actually order and get it delivered right to your door, both greens and salads. Nice. Well, thanks again, Austin. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Harry. Thanks to Austin for coming on the show and sharing his story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Special thanks to our Season 3 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, the service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at Cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com, and just leave out that last E. Learn more about Indoor AgCon at Indoor.ag and save an additional $100 off registration with our promo code VFP0D2021. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. If you'd like to learn how a podcast can help your business, sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash VFP15. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying this show, leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. That's a wrap for season three. We're so excited to confirm that we have Cultivated coming on as a season four sponsor. So look for an announcement around there. And we have, as of this recording, additional sponsorship opportunities available. So reach out to me, Harry, at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. That's been a wildly informative and entertaining season three. And I'm really excited at some of the season four guests that we've got queued up and we're lining up a few more and it's going to be a fun season i can't wait to share that with you so we'll likely take a break for a week or two and get back in the saddle but if you have questions for me about the show or suggestions for guests reach out to me harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com until we meet again here's to your health Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.